If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hey there, welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I'm Anna Dimmel, and I'm happy you're here. For those of you who hang with this podcast every week, you've probably noticed I've been gone for like two weeks. We have been hit with cold, flu, season, all the things. I swear, my kids have brought home everything this year. I don't know if you guys are going through the same, but wow, we have had it all. And if you listen in the break, I talk a little bit about some of the natural remedies that I'm finding to really help our home and get us back on track, and they have made a world of difference. So listen in for that about midway through the show, but I'm happy to say we are on the up and up. We are feeling better. And I'm so glad to be back here in the seat with you guys. This week's episode is pretty raw. I have had a lot of inner working dealing time this past month, and I've been marinating about a lot of things. And I wanted to just crack open the door and talk about something I haven't been ready to talk about for about the past year. And that's how some of my practices have changed in relation to God how worship has changed, prayer has changed. All of these things that I used to use to connect with God now look so different now that I am past the deconstructing part and somewhere in the middle of this reconstructing part. So uh, this is part one of that journey. And I, I hope it resonates with you. I hope that if you're in this same season with me, that it brings you some comfort in knowing that you're not alone. This episode is brought to you today by Alice Franker. Alice, she is such a gift to this podcast. She supports this podcast monthly, along with many other patrons. And I just adore Alice and I'm so thankful for her and everyone else who supports this show. If this show means something to you, if you get something out of it, consider being a Patreon. Consider supporting this work. It just, it goes such a long way. Even the tiniest gifts really stretch. They really do. So you can learn out how to do that more by going to my website, annadimmel.com and clicking on the button Patreon. All that being said, I'm excited to get into this topic. So here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. We are jumping in and just going to hit this right out of the gate. This is going to be rather raw and uh, open, transparent, all those words that we say we want to be. And then when we find ourselves in the hot seat, we're like, um, maybe I don't want to be that authentic after all. <laughs> that is how I'm feeling on this episode. 
this whole podcast started two years ago with my journey of deconstruction, my journey of pulling apart the layers of my faith, what I believed, what I questioned, what I agreed with, what I disagreed with, the journey of the soul, really. You know, they say the dark night of the soul is one of the most important journeys you can adventure through if you're willing to go in eyes wide open. And I would say when this podcast started two years ago, that's where I was at. And for you guys who've hung in there with me from the beginning, bless your hearts because you have watched me go through divorce, losing my pastoral role, losing friends, losing community, trying to refine my voice and trying to refine my niche in writing and all those things that when something like your faith is turned inside out and upside down, you find yourself in a rabbit hole, kind of like Alice in Wonderland, just free falling and trying to make sense of it as you go along the way. And that has been what this journey has felt like for me. Through these last couple years, I've realized a lot about myself. And I think you guys, if you've been through this same kind of process, you can relate to that because that's the one thing that I find is so universal with everybody who goes through a major transformation of their belief system, of their faith, of their identity, of their authenticity. You come out the other side saying, oh my gosh, I actually kind of like myself. I actually feel like I know myself better. I'm more connected with who I am. And that's a beautiful beautiful thing. I think that is why so many people say the dark night of the soul is so transformative and so powerful. I love that. I love seeing other people go through that, and I'm so thankful for the seasons in my life that have felt that way. When it comes to deconstructing your faith, especially the Christian faith, evangelical faith, whatever label you want to put on it today— Gosh, it's hard. It is hard. And I haven't opened up so much about how difficult some of that has been for me just in my daily rhythm, my daily practice. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. Praying, for example, is something that my whole life has been built upon when I was a kid. I was praying at home. I was praying in church. I was praying with my parents. I was praying for people I loved who were sick, people who I was afraid were going to hell. Prayer was a constant thing in my life, a constant rhythm. It was something that I valued and treasured and made so important in everyday life. As a young adult, when life changes hit and life decisions start taking place, Prayer was my go-to. I have, and I'm and I'm not kidding you, I have probably 50 journals in a box in my closet filled with prayers. And there's tear-stained pages, there's highlights, there's Bible verses written, there's Bible verses memorized, there's pleadings, there's beggings, there's asking for comfort, asking for direction. That was my safe place. Prayer has been my form of communication with the divine, with God, with Jesus, all, the Holy Spirit, all of it. Like that was my connection point. And when I realized how much 
of this practice of my overall belief system and faith was bringing me damage, was bringing people I loved damage. I kind of had to let go of everything and start rebuilding, which if you're familiar with the term deconstruction, the idea of reconstructing makes sense. But no one ever really talks about how complex and complicated reconstructing a destroyed thing is, especially when you were so married to it. Prayer for me was something that I had to step away from. And that felt weird. It felt weird, but it felt like something that I had to do. And I'll tell you why. I felt angry that God had what I would have used the phrases of um, abandon me, that all of those years and I mean, we're talking like decades of journals of praying for certain things that never happened, of believing God for quote unquote promises in scripture um, that never came to fruition. All the begging, all the pleading, prayer was based in pain for me. Prayer was a point of contention. It was where I brought all of my pain to this being that I believed loved me and wanted the best for me. And if I did it the right way, I believed I would get the right outcome. I would get peace. I would get fulfillment. I would get joy. I would get the answers to the problems. And that didn't happen. Now, what did happen, and this is why it gets confusing for me, is that I connected with God through prayer. I felt the presence of God through prayer. Whether or not I got the answers I was looking for, I always found peace. I always heard God's voice. I always felt that I was being heard and validated and listened to. The voice I encountered through prayer is a voice I still connect with. But the packaging around prayer needed reworking because that package brought me so much anger. And I was angry because the package wasn't working. I was angry because one plus one was not equaling two, like I was told. One plus one was equaling zero. You say, pray these prayers over your spouse and they'll change. Pray these prayers over your kid and you'll see transformation. Do this, do that, and you'll get the results that God is promising you. Well, that didn't work for me. And I know I'm not alone in that. It doesn't work for a lot of people. And it's at a certain point when I started pulling apart this idol of a religion that I had built up, I realized being told that if I said this the right way, that the outcome would happen because God loved me, and then watching that not happen, I was essentially being told God didn't love me enough to make the outcome happen. Or my Enneagram 3 here, I didn't achieve it the right way. I didn't do it the right way. And so I was the failure to the equation. Both of those messages, whether God was the failure or I was the failure, leave you feeling mad, leave you feeling gypped, leave you feeling shame, leave you feeling undone. When you feel shame, you just do whatever you can to try to cover it up. That's what we all do because we don't want to feel it. So we hide, we strive, we work harder, or we just go into fake mode where we fake it. 
And for me, I just, I, I couldn't fake it, guys. I couldn't fake it. I was mad. I was mad. I felt like this system that I was sold was propaganda. This was fake. This wasn't real. You missold me false information. And I was angry about it. And so I had to just stop. And I I did. I stopped. My journal stopped. My praying before bed stopped. My praying before meals stopped. Everything stopped. And I can't tell you that I wasn't still connected to God or that I wasn't still communicating with God because I was. I just did it very differently. If you remember last year, I did tons of posts about me out in my garden. I talked about those analogies a lot when I was even podcasting back then. My garden work came up a lot. That was because that's how God and I were talking. I couldn't pray. I couldn't. There was too much damage done there. And I was grieving that. And so for me, who is deeply spiritual and deeply in love with this divine loving being who I had known my whole life, but was now very confused about because of everything being torn down, nature seemed to be the only common ground I could stand on. And so when I would be in my yard, when I would be pulling weeds or I would be pruning bushes or whatever I was doing, That's how I connected with God. God showed me things in the dirt. God showed me things in the plants and in the trees and in nature. God showed me things in the season. Let me tell you, God is not confined to your prayer life. This is something I've learned while in my wilderness of wandering this whole thing of deconstructing is that I learned something about God. I learned that God doesn't have to be communicated with in a prayer. God doesn't have to be communicated with through scripture. God does not have to be communicated within the walls of a church or a sermon. God will find you if you want to be found. I wanted to be found so much over these last few years, and I wanted the answers don't we all? We all want the answers. Even though I was mad about praying, it's not like I still didn't have questions. I wanted the answers. I wanted connection. I wanted to be found. I wanted to find the answer to the mysteries. And I couldn't find it the way I used to. And so in my anger, while I was pulling up weeds, while I was angrily planting and pruning and doing all the things, that still quiet voice talked to me through it and showed me things about my heart and showed me things about my relationships and showed me things about my life in such a different, profound way that I walked away going, okay, I know that voice. That's God, but this is not the package I'm used to God showing up in. That took some getting used to. I started doing meditation a lot for originally for stress purposes, um, trying to reduce anxiety and those kinds of things. And I was shocked that while meditating, I connected with spirit there. I connected with God there. And it was like totally different, but totally the voice I knew. I don't even know if that makes sense. But it was like the voice of God I knew, 
I had painted a certain face on that God, uh, the dialogue of father figure with Jesus being my friend and the Holy Spirit being the comforter. Those are the faces I had painted on the voice I would pray to, the voice I would dialogue with and connect with. And it's like through this season, literally God was like, can we do away with the white Jesus? Can we do away with the father figure? Can we do away with the face that you've painted and slapped on this thing your whole life? Can we just undo that and start over? And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know, can I pray and not call you Father? Can I pray and not say in Jesus' name, amen? Can I Can I do those things? I don't know. Is that illegal? Is that still qualifying? <laughs> like, I, I was fumbling out there and wrestling with the package of this thing. And it's like the package, you know when you get a package in the mail and they have like layers and layers of bubble wrap? And then there's this tiny little box in the middle of it. And you're like, why did they fill up this box with all this air puffed bubble stuff, right? That's what it felt like I was working with. Like my connection with God has been solid my whole life. And I'm so thankful for that, guys. I'm so thankful for that. That thing is real. But that thing is like this tiny little nugget of gold wrapped up inside 20,000 layers of bubble wrap of Christian jargon and then this like really really solidly duct taped amazon box of religion and i had to unbox the thing and realize that i could get to that gold nugget i could get to the thing without all the tape without all the bubbles without all the extra package fluff it actually is accessible without the box it's accessible without the bubble wrap But I literally thought every time I had to access that nugget, I had to go through the process of untaping, undoing, now this layer of bubble wrap, now this layer of bubble wrap, and then I package it all back up and then we do it again tomorrow. I I literally thought that was how it worked. And it's like out in the wilderness, God was like, yeah, we're just going to do away with all of that and you're just going to be left with the gold little nugget of of a rock and see where that gets you. And it's weird. It's weird to not have the excess stuff that you're used to because I thought worship, now I'm segueing here into the worship category. I thought worship meant, gosh, and this sounds so arrogant coming out of my mouth. I'm just like feeling loads of humility as I'm saying this, but um, like, I feel like I want to cry and repent. I, I literally thought worship was something that I could only experience if the music was right, if the song was right, if the atmosphere in the room was right, if the church environment was right. I'm not kidding. I would get annoyed in church services if something went off or if a song didn't last as long as I felt it should have, or if the singer totally botched the part that is how I connected with God. Like, I was so protective over my worship space because that was my vessel. That was my ticket. I didn't do it for show. It's not like I wanted people to see me raising my hands or singing. I legit connected with spirit there. I mean, I was one of those people that was like bawling in worship services simply because I was hearing God's voice and because I was having a moment with God that I didn't want anyone to interrupt. That led me to having 
praise and worship music on at home all the time because that was how I felt connected to God in a time when everything in my life sucked and everything was hard. Everything in my life was hard. And I had this space of worship where I felt peace and I felt validated and I felt seen and I felt loved and I felt enough in that moment. And I was protective over that moment. I didn't want it to be messed with because that was my safe place. And out in the wilderness, when that that particular bubble wrap got completely unraveled, you know what I learned? And this is where I feel like I want to say sorry. Sorry to everyone who used worship as a place to bandage up the crap that religion was giving them, because that's what my life was. Religion was holding me in a marriage that was toxic and unhealthy. Worship was my band-aid to get me through it. Religion was holding me in a place where I couldn't be authentic. I couldn't be real. I couldn't be transparent. I couldn't let people in. Worship was my way to feel transparent and real and authentic and seen and known there. Do you realize what I'm saying? I'm saying the only being on this planet that I felt truly loved me for who I really was and saw me for who I really was, was God. That was it. Because in the church atmosphere, and I'm not just talking a particular denomination, I'm talking about the culture, the culture of church I was in and that so many of you can identify with, didn't allow space for that. The moment I became authentic, people's feathers got ruffled. The moment I became real, people were putting me in my place. The moment I stepped out in leadership and in authority, people didn't like it because I wasn't doing it right. I wasn't doing it the right way. The moment I tried to just show up as me as as best as I could in that moment, it was labeled wrong. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break to talk about what this season is doing to all of us. It is that time of year, colds, flus, coughing, yuck. I am always looking for natural ways to heal our bodies. And this year we changed some things up in our house with essential oils. And let me tell you, it has made a world of difference. For colds, I've rubbed Thieves Oil Blend on my kiddos' feet every night and Digize on their tummies when they've had stomach aches. And within minutes of putting the Digize oil on my kids, their ache went away. It's seriously becoming my go-to oil for all things stomach-related. I love this oil. And I have Thieves diffusing in my house and on everyone's bodies, and its antimicrobial effects are helping our house stay bug-free tremendously. So listen... Don't put chemicals in your body and in your house if you don't have to. Do yourself a favor. Grab some Thieves and Digize by going to my website, AnnaDimmel.com, and clicking on the link Shop at the top of the page. Again, that's AnnaDimmel.com and clicking on the link Shop at the top of the page. Now let's get back to the show. The people in that culture that I was connected with got uneasy when I really showed up as me. And I didn't even fully show up as me. I was like... 75% me. And when I really showed up as honest and exposed the pain inside my home, it was like I set off a bomb. And you see, in the church, especially when you're a leader, your marriage has to be like really perfect. 
and your home life needs to be really good and your kids need to be really good and your prayer life and your fasting and your ability to kick out good like sermons and content has to be on point all the time. And when you show up and you're like, hey, guess what? My marriage is falling apart. I've got a kid that's got a lot of issues. I'm not doing so great, you know, and you want to like be honest about that. It's like, no, go. And and it's like, had I been given freedom and permission to be honest about all of those things beforehand, it might not have exploded as dramatically as it did. But again, that was the problem. The problem was the only safe place I had was God. And it's ironic because that's the selling point. You know, when you show up in that world, the selling point, I'm like a poster child right now. God is it. My marriage is crap. My kids are a mess. All my friends dumped me, whatever it is. My career fell apart, whatever, you know, thing you want to insert there. But God is everything. God gets me through. Like that is the banner. That is the flyer. That is the the ticket that people rush towards and want to buy. That sells because it sounds like a fix. Because it is. It's a fix. But the weird conflicting thing about the fix is that it's not a fix for the actual problems. It's just a fix for your brain so that your brain can go to this place where those problems don't exist. I could go in my prayer journal and connect with God who was showing up as my husband. And then I didn't have to think about the fact that I didn't have a husband like that. I could show up as to God or Jesus in my verbiage and say, you're my best friend today because I don't have one. I don't have one to connect with and talk to. You're it. You're it. And then I didn't have to like go through the feelings of loss of not having community or connection in the way I needed. You see, that phrase of God was everything I had sounds so good, but it's actually really unhealthy. And and that was the bubble wrap and the package that I was sold and that I was living inside of was that your marriage can be awful. You can be lonely. You cannot have the community that you are craving and needing. You don't have to be authentic. You don't have to be transparent with people. You can just have God. And that should be enough. But let me tell you, after living nearly 15 years of that, it's not enough. It kills you. Was my spirit healthy? Surprisingly, yeah. Surprisingly, did I doubt God's love for me? No. Did I get pissed off and angry when God didn't answer me? Well, yeah. But do I sit here and say God doesn't like me? No. I actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good and he loves me. I know that. That is one thing that can't be taken from me. That's a plus. But was I like depressed because I was living pretty lonely? Yeah. That's not healthy. We need community. There's a reason that you are wired the way you are wired. And the problem with what I have been taught was that there was one way to be wired, one way to be made. And if you are not that way, you're off. And so my needs inside of relationship were not being met. I was off. I needed to get those needs met from the Lord. What I needed inside of friendship, I was off. I needed to get those needs met from God. Like, I was continually putting two and two together that I was the problem. And God seemed to be the only one on this whole planet that didn't think that I was the problem. (laughs) And so 
eventually you just put on this thing of my identity is in God because God is my husband. God is my best friend. God is my family. He thinks I'm awesome. He knows me and doesn't shame me. And so I'm going to present to all of you the confidence that I'm getting from God, but none of you are really going to know me because none of you are going to love me like that. And for a while, you really think that I have to change so that I can be connected with this group and these people and this marriage. And what I found when I finally stepped out of all of that and into this vast empty space of the last couple years, I found that I'm not the problem. The institution, the packaging, the context was the problem because I'm unique and so are you. So was my ex-husband. So were all of the people I was connected with. We're all different. But the problem is that we're all taught that those differences can just vary a little bit. Too much difference means you need deliverance or you need to be fixed or something's off. We all have to fit a certain mold. I learned that the reason I always felt accepted and loved and enough in the presence of this divine being that I connected with all those years was that I actually was worthy of that. God wasn't having pity on me and befriending me because I was a weirdo. God actually was like, you're pretty awesome. Those things about you that are misunderstood in that context with that group of people, that's what makes you special. That's what makes you unique. That's why you're amazing. I made you that way. You see, I had to leave that group and that context and that institution to realize there's a whole world out here of unique beings. And there's a whole world of people and community that you can connect with that'll love you for you, that will embrace you for you. I don't care what makes you different, whether it's the fact that you've been divorced, whether it's the fact that you're gay, whether it's the fact that you're a single parent, whether it's the fact that you don't have what everyone around you has, your story's different. Don't really care. All of us and especially around this podcast, have felt like the outsiders. Whether anybody knew we felt that way or not, we felt it. This common ground of feeling like I'm not enough for them. That is as anti-Christ as it comes. Because let me tell you what the message of Jesus was. Wherever you are on that journey, doesn't matter. Just take this story for what it is. Jesus loved people for people. Jesus loved people for who they were. He liked the uniqueness and the oddness and the individualist and the specialness of every human he encountered. He liked it. He liked diversity. Look at his little crew that ran around with him. Diverse, 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 diverse. And so if you find yourself or have found yourself or have come out of a place where diversity was not cherished and honored and valued, that was not representative of Christ. And if they say that they were representatives of Jesus, well, then they don't know the Jesus that I've met and the Jesus that I read about because it reads very differently on paper. 
We are made to be unique and different. We are made for connection. And if your uniqueness and your diversity, if my uniqueness and my diversity, our different perspectives, our different ways of thinking are not welcomed with an equal opportunity and an equal seat at the table, we need to find a different table. That was what the wilderness taught me was that I don't have to hide or change or fix to be worthy of anybody's table. I can show up as I am and be worthy at whatever table I am sat at. I have permission to find other tables, create different tables. And let me tell you, this season has opened my eyes to the beauty of people filling the roles that I only allowed God to fill before. That's a weird sentence to say. One, I didn't know that my journey would ever lead me to say that out loud, but it's true. I now have those relationships in place that God could only seem to fill before, where I am loved for exactly who I am. I am allowed to be uniquely, diversely me, and it's okay. It's actually valued. It's loved. It's accepted. It's something that people see and connect with. And that inside of my private life, that has been the most healing thing I've ever experienced. So back to prayer for a second. Yeah, my prayers have changed. And you know what's weird is that I'm not begging and pleading and bawling and crying in my prayer journals anymore. And sometimes I feel like, does that mean I'm I'm not connected anymore because I don't feel so desperate? No. My, my, my prayers before were really depressed and really sad. And gosh, I like, I don't even want to read some of them because it's like this poor girl. Like I'm reading these words going, man. Yikes. My prayers now are like really, really grateful. I'm really grateful. You know, my life isn't what it was in any stretch of the imagination and not ever what I thought I would have wanted, but I'm so happy. And I'm so at peace and I'm so thankful. My tribe is so much smaller, but I literally lay in bed at night and I thank God for it. I've never felt this seen, this loved, this known, this accepted in my entire life. And the position God has in my life now isn't this desperate go-to that fills in all the missing voids because actually the voids are being filled. God is now this being of blessing. Like I went from feeling like a beggar sitting at God's feet, just like begging for a freaking crumb. And now I feel like the table is spread and it's so full And I can't even eat it all. And I just, and I look at God and I say, thank you. How did this happen? How did I get here? Thank you. 
And I suppose this is where I should say, see, God answered my prayer. (laughs) I guess in a way, all those years of praying for connection, but I, I feel like God was leading me every time he told me to go. And I can look at those moments and see where God was saying, go. And I can see where I said no. (laughs) And then eventually I caved and said yes. And I left and all hell broke loose numerous times. It's like God was always leading me here, always asking me to leave the pack and go out into the wild. And doesn't that just sound like God? Because I needed God. Like I needed water every day when I was inside the pack. I needed to hear God's voice every single day because my God, he was the only one listening to me. I needed to feel God's presence holding me at night because he was the only one holding me. I needed to feel God parenting with me because he was the only one parenting with me. I needed to have him on a coffee date with me because I needed someone to talk to. I, God was my everything. So why would God leave me away from that? And I think this is, this is the story that history continues to tell in so many different ways. Whether you read the Bible or you read other inspired books, it's, it's constantly this message of sacrificial love and not not the self-harming kind of sacrificial love where you like allow yourself to be abused for the sake of love. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about where you're willing to lay down your life for someone you love. It always circles back to that. And with me in this season, it's like it's coming full circle because it's like, okay, God led me to a place where I wouldn't need him like that. I have to think that we're made like God, so we like connection. I'm sure God loved being needed. Those of us who kind of get codependent and we like being needed and we need to be needed, raising a quiet hand over here. I'm an Enneagram 3 with a wing 2, so that 2 can be strong sometimes. Like being needed, you get a high off of somebody clinging to you and, and needing you all the time. Like... All of us like that feeling of being that important to someone. It's like God was willing to let that go for me to be healthy. And my relationship with God has changed. I'm not desperately filling up pages in my journal every night. I literally smile and I look up at the ceiling when I'm laying in bed and I'm like, thank you. And I go to sleep. Whereas before, we're talking like two hours, pages, pages, scribbling, begging, pleading, hold me tonight, be close to me, I'm so alone, all that stuff. And it's like, from God's perspective, I probably seem like I've moved on. I seem like I don't need him as much. I seem really content. Like a like a parent looks at their child who goes off to college and they're like, wow, they, they only call home a few times. <laughs> kind of miss them. Why would God raise me? To be like that, why would God lead me to only leave him in in a way? I think it's the same reason parents raise children to not stay at home all the time. I think 
we raise our children to eventually not need us like a baby, right? Like if my 16-year-old still needed me the way that my four-year-old does, I would probably not be doing my job. We grow, we evolve, we mature, and eventually we do become self-sufficient in many ways. Now, does that mean that my my daughter, when she eventually goes off to college, will be completely self-sufficient and never need me? No, but it means that the roles I carried for her are replaced by other people. Will I be comforting her every tier? No. Hopefully she'll find people her own age in a partner or in a best friend that fills that role. She needs that. Will I always still be here to comfort her and talk to her? Yes, I will always be mama, always. But if she doesn't have people in her life doing those things for her too, I don't want her to live like that. I don't want to be the only one she has that knows that she knows loves her. I want her to feel loved by a community, by people. Parents want that. I think God wants that too. I don't think God wants us to be desperately seeking after him like we have nothing else going for us. And that, and I realize that goes against so much of what Christian culture would say, but I don't think it's healthy. And I don't think that God wants that. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that cycle like I was and end up depressed and suicidal. Yeah, baby. Guess what? What? Can I watch some puppy dog pals? You sure can. Thanks. You're welcome. Hi, Millie. I sure love you. Me too. Okay. If you don't need to, that I'll help you. Thank you, Noah. You're welcome. Love you. I love you. God, I love her. <sighs> no parent wants to see their kid grow up alone and live alone and be sad and depressed and feel like something's wrong with them and feel like they are not right and that they're not welcome and that they have to be something they're not and that the only person that understands them is us. We might get a high out of it for a moment, but I think deep inside, even moms who want their babies to stay babies forever, we don't want that for our kids. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be thriving. We want to smile and look from afar and say, well done. Well done. And I can't help but think that God must feel the same way. I I think that when we are taught to stay in a place of continual hunger for God, continual thirst for God, continual groaning and moaning for God, It's like we're being told to stay infants who are constantly crying for more milk and constantly crying to be fed. It's like eventually they have to grow up. God doesn't want us to stay dependent like that on our human parents or on God like that. God, and I say this kind of carefully because I don't want you to get the impression that I don't depend on spirit because I so do. I. 
I realize that there are answers only God can give. I realize there are only answers I can find when I go within myself and I connect and and I communicate with God. God and I dialogue. It's just the dialogue is different. It's not desperate. It is calm. It is collected. It feels healthy. It feels like a healthy relationship rather than a person holding on for dear life every day of her life. And I and I know that there may be seasons in my life, again, that feel that way. But what I'm trying to, to communicate is that people are good too. And I had to leave my culture, my people, to find people like that. And it's been good. It's been really, really good. Worship to me now looks like loving my children, welcoming someone who's hurting, someone who's in a place I used to be. It looks like doing my work to serve others and doing it really well. Worship and honor to the God that I know way out here in the wilderness looks a lot like me desperately clinging and crying and begging and more like me saying, thank you for giving and how can I give it back? Worship is not about my needs being met anymore. It's about me being thankful for what I've been given and wanting to meet other people's needs. I intended to talk a lot more um, on this episode, but I realized I've run out of time. And um, we're just going to call this part one. And I think next week will be part two. And you're enough. You're enough exactly where you are. Go in peace. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.